Where were all of you in the first service? Seriously. That's upside down. All right, Luke 11 is where we're going to be. Surprise, surprise. We are still in the book of Luke. We are marching through, seeing Luke's pathway of discipleship and understanding of the life and ministry of our king. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jesus gives us the outline, the model for prayer. And last week as we explored that through the one of two examples that Jesus outlined that, the Lord's Prayer in Luke 11, um, he stopped after, and lead us not into temptation. And we all know that the next phrase is, but deliver us from evil. And Jesus didn't say that in this part. He said it in Matthew, but he did not say it in this part. It's as if to tell us, connect us from where we were last week to where we are this week, to connect the pathway of what Luke is doing through the life of Jesus, the powerful, amazing ministry of Jesus. It's as if the dot, 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 he doesn't need to say deliver us from evil here because he explains what evil is. And so today we're, we're at verse 14 through verse 27, 28. And this is uh, one of those like difficult passages where it's easy to kind of just kind of not skim through, but kind of move on without understanding. And I think that in this whole idea of why Jesus asked us in prayer to say to God the Father, deliver us from evil, he's defining what evil is. And so in this moment, as we see what evil is, verse 14, Jesus came to abolish, rescue, redeem us from evil. So it says in verse 14, look at your, the Bible in front of you, it says, Now he, Jesus, was casting out a demon that was mute. <laughs> and then the next phrase assumes, of course, if Jesus is doing it, he's going to have no trouble. Because Jesus overpowers the darkness. What does light have to do with darkness other than dispelling it? The power of God through Jesus is displayed in this moment. It says that when the demon had gone out, the mute man, what? Spoke. And people marveled. Have you ever seen God do something miraculous, supernatural, in the moment like this? Or perhaps... Uh, through the, the process of time or what he's done in your heart or your life or your mind 
or your family. You've seen them act in a miraculous way, and you respond in this way, as if, like, I would too. People were marveled. They were, that guy, like, that guy, now he can, what, 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 what is happening? Do you see what Jesus just did here? And people were marveled, of course. But then, like, at the next several verses, it kind of lays out that not everybody had that response. In fact, some people immediately attacked and insulted Jesus to the point of saying, man, he, he actually, he's casting out demons because, like, he's using the power of Beelzebub. Um, he's using the power of Satan. He's using the power of the devil to do these, these wondrous signs. And they began to insult him with this. <laughs> Imagine Jesus' perspective that here he is, these, the son of God who's come to save the world, and here's these punks that are now insulting him, calling him, saying he's doing it in the power of the devil. The very one he came to defeat on the cross, overcoming our sin, overcoming death, the resurrection, overcoming sickness, overcoming possession and oppression and the power of evil from then to before then and to now and forevermore. And here they are insulting him. Now, like, I don't know if you've been in this spot. You're certainly not actually Jesus, but you're trying to be like Jesus. And in your life, you've, you've taken some steps. You've, you've, you've like, there's, God's done a work in you. That's nothing short of supernatural. And yet, maybe people are not so um, jazzed about it. Maybe they're little insulting about it. Or maybe even like it's the fact that um, you weren't healed yet. Or, or you weren't in a spot yet where you feel or are perceived as if you are okay. And the insults come. Oh, that's your Jesus, huh? Like that's what he does for you? Or, or maybe from the other end. Like literally God's done some miraculous thing in your life. And, and there's this insults that come um, because of the cult that you're a part of, called the body of Christ. That, that, like, the Holy Spirit requires and promotes and causes life change. And people may not like that. That may fly in the face of how they're living or how they perceive how things should be. And so the insults come. But I want to say that the, the, the most prominent thing that, that you and I are, like, actually probably, I know I am guilty of at times, um, is this next response. It says that some people, they were looking for more. They kept seeking a sign from heaven. Like, Jesus just did this thing, and they're like, all right. Like, their arms are crossed, toes are tapping. What else you got? Spit out the next trick. Have you ever been in a spot where we forget what God has done? And we're asking for God to do something else without even recognizing what he's done. Not even just creating the world, not even just creating you, not even setting you up and blessing your life and preparing the way for you to be forgiven and free, but even just like in your everyday life. Like it's easy to focus on the darkness and focus on the evil that resides at times in our own heart and our own mind or the dark night of the soul, but we forget the moments of where Jesus has already redeemed through the power of the cross and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in our lives that has produced a life change 
or life-changing others. We forget the miraculous ways that he's already worked and already working. And we deny it. And we're asking God, like, God, show me, show up. Please, in my life. And maybe in a totally reverent and respectful way. Maybe your prayers, like, you're like, all right, our Father, are going to heaven. Like, you get through your prayers. You get through adoring God. Because you can't wait to the end to ask God to do the thing that you want him to do. Because he can. As he just described, Jesus just described that the Father is a good Father. And he loves to give good gifts. And he wants to give the ultimate gift, the greatest gift, which is the Holy Spirit, inside of us. So that he can begin to do the work and he can begin to do the miraculous in our lives. But how silly is it that we would ever come to God and we would ask him to do more? We're waiting for the, like, the signs from heaven to come when we've neglected the signs that are all around us. And the miraculous and the supernatural fact that you're alive that your heart is beating, and that you're here, that you got enough energy with coffee to be here, um, that, that, that he's prepared a way for you to hear this message, that he wants you to be forgiven and free no matter what you've done, he can forgive you. Through faith, he's brought peace to you. A holy God, a sinful man, has been bridged because of Jesus and that when you take your last breath, your body, your soul, ultimately forever and ever can be redeemed through the power of Jesus. The fact that the finger of God has made this world and he's made us and he's made everything. And in this moment, like, how can we forget that? We shouldn't. We can't. He's good. He's great. And he's already sent I mean, I'm not saying, oh, let's not ask any more from God. But what I am saying is, let's not be skeptical and skip over what he's already done and what he's already doing and ask him to bring more. And that was the response of others. Now, Jesus obviously responds to this. And I love Jesus' response that at times aren't very short responses and they a lot of times seem like nothing to do with what typically, practically would be the answer. But Jesus begins to explain the kingdom of God. And I want to start in verse 20. It says, but if this is the finger of, this is chapter 11 of Luke, verses 20. But if it is the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. This is, this is significant. Because he's saying, if, if this is legit, if this is, the fi- if, if this is the finger of God, then the kingdom of God is upon you. The con- kingdom of God has now been made manifest through a man, God with skin, amongst us. Think about this. The finger of God. Where is the finger of God taking place up to this point? I mean, all over the place. But, but rightfully so, like, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So he made everything in this world. He made the planets. He made the stars. He made the sea. He made the mountains. He made the beautiful hills, the plants, the trees. He made all these things. And then he made the animals and their uniqueness with the finger of God. And he made the sea uh, creatures. And he made all fish. And then he made man. And then he made woe man. And then he made us to, to re- cultivate life and to make life through ultimately his, the finger of God, but yet through our interaction with how he set us in motion to, to like cultivate and to turn up life and to grow life and then here we are like the finger of God is all over the place the finger of God it was in the moment of of when the Red Sea 
parted. The finger of God was ultimately when he passed over the homes. When death came, the finger of God was there to protect those that put by faith in that moment blood on their door, calling it the Passover that ultimately would celebrate the finger of God that ultimately someday would come and bring true deliverance. But the finger of God was everywhere. The finger of God was everywhere. But here, this is huge. Jesus is saying that the finger of God, if this is, if this power is the finger of God, he's saying it's here, now. Jesus is saying, I am the finger of God. Jesus, God with skin, is made manifest among his people, among this earth. And he's come to rescue. He's come to save. He's come to bring peace to us and war to evil. Pretty cool, huh? I think it's pretty exciting. The finger of God, if, if this was God, he's saying the finger of God is here. Now, he begins to use an analogy that I think is important. Um, Again, this is the part where you can kind of like buzz through it and like not see the significance of how, okay, Jesus just cast out some demons. Some people are like, yay. Some people are like, nah. And some people are like, I want to see more. And then all of a sudden he starts telling this story. He says that um, imagine that, that you have a palace and, and, and all of your goods and everything that's important to you and everybody you want to protect, everything is, is inside of here. And, and the door is shut and the door is locked and you stand guard. You stand guard in front of all that matters. And when you stand guard, it says that you're uh, armed. Second Amendment, amen. No? Okay, we won't go there. See, it's biblical. Uh, no, it's armed uh, to protect what is in here. But it actually goes on to say what? It's like, what if... Uh, I, I was going to use examples, but I don't want to hurt anybody's ego. Um, what if somebody stronger came? What if somebody more armed came? And Jesus uses this analogy that, that somebody that's more armed or more powerful will come, and even though you're guarding, it will overtake you. And will take, not it will just overtake you, but it will take all your stuff and all that matters. And then Jesus goes on to say, Who's ever with me is with me. Whoever's against me isn't. Whoever's against me, everything scatters. Okay, so what does this mean? What does it mean to guard all that you have? What does it mean to protect all that you have? I want to come back to that. He goes on to verse 24, and he begins defining a little bit deeper the difference between evil and good. Defining a little bit deeper of this unclean spirit. It says, when an unclean spirit has gone out of a person and it passes through waterless places, seeking rest and finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. It's this idea, it's this, this, the practical reality of demonic possession. It's this idea of demonic oppression. It's the greater idea, before you completely turn off that idea, because in, in, in most senses of the practical word, we're not talking about um, bleh, like just going crazy and, and seeing somebody that's literally demon-possessed. Although Jesus did just cast out an actual demon. 
in a man. What he's getting at is the ultimate evil that consumes us. What he truly came to rescue us from. You see, the beginning of the story, the man that was mute can now speak. Did Jesus just come to make people speak? To make people not have disease? To make people be um, not blind anymore? No. These were just the miraculous flexing muscles of who God is, who Jesus is and still is. But in this moment, he's calling to you and me the demonic nature, the evil nature of our sin. He knows that right now in, in this room, um, there are people that are trapped by habitual sin, enslaved to the, the rooms, whether small or large, in their heart, and in their life that have not been opened and surrendered to God. Now, hear, hear me on this. Like, when you're saved, you're saved. Jesus didn't die for some of your sins. Jesus didn't die for the sins that you were just, like, you, you, like you, you're going to pay him back, and then, like, hopefully you can pay him back enough that, like, he covers all your... No, no, Jesus died for you, all of your sins. And by repentance, through faith, he's made peace with God because of himself. Amen? Salvation comes by faith and grace. It's a gift. It's not of works. So we don't boast and say, hey, it's about me. It's about me. Like promising to God, I'm not going to do... Okay, so you know and I know that salvation comes by Christ and Christ alone. But he knows good and well that because we are redeemed by the power of sin... By, by, the, by the capital S sin, the thing that damns us and separates us from a holy God, he knows good and well, as even it lines out in 1 John 1, he knows you and I can be enslaved by sin in our lives. Knowing the power of God, receiving who Jesus is, but yet still practicing the natures of the flesh. Still practicing and being enslaved and beset and entangled by what our flesh wants, and the pleasure and things that fly in the face of God and stiff arm, his great desire for us to be fulfilled, happy, and blessed. So what Jesus is really after is us being blessed. What Jesus is really after is us being fulfilled in him and him alone. Not for us to just stop doing all these bad things. See, stop doing all these bad things clears the path and gives us a path through the law to understand that we cannot do it. And we need him. And we need his strength. And we need his hope. And we need his grace when we, like, got zero out of ten. Right. Are you with me? And so he understands that the evil that comes, the evil that resides, the evil that in us at, at times remains in our daily fleshly lives and practice and mind have, has everything to do with what we are doing, what we're filling our mind with, what we're filling our heart with, what we're filling our lives with, the things that we speak, the things that we let replay as a recorder in our head of who we are. That's not true. That's not a fact. Christ has redeemed us. He's come to give us peace. But because of the peace, he's come to make war with evil. 
And here's my fear, is that this morning, many of you, um, whether you use the analogy of a room in your heart, or whether you use the analogy of a part of your soul, or whatever analogy you want to use, here's my fear, is that there's areas in your life, in your life every day, um, or maybe every few days, um, that need redemption, that need resurrection, that need hope, doors that need unlocked, rooms that the, like God desires so greatly to get in there and to turn the lights on and to like get everything exposed so that he can deal with it. Because you're trying to deal with it. You're trying to deal with it by the most dangerous word, I think, in our language is compartmentalize. You see, when we compartmentalize, we think we're putting it in there. We think we're locking it. We think we're standing guard. We think that we're, no one will know. And yeah, like God knows, but like he'll forget. Like you don't, you like need to see that he wants in there. He wants that because he wants to redeem that. He doesn't want to drag it out and lock you in there. It's like, look at the bed you made. Now I want you to lie in it. He's not that kind of God. He wants to redeem and forgive so much so that he sent his son Jesus to make it happen. He let his son die so that that room could be unlocked and that room could be redeemed and that you can be forgiven and that evil will not win. But I have a feeling that so many of you have retreated. So many of us have given up on those things. We said, you know, that's just, like, this is what I do. Call it addiction. Call it a dark closet sin. Call it a <laughs> bad genes. Whatever it is. We've given up. Why have we given up? <laughs> Evil has no power. Darkness has no power over the light. Amen? So, so my, my, this is not your, hey, love Jesus, love others, package that nice, go home and have lunch kind of day. This is a, this is a surgical, like, pretty invasive moment. And I'm asking you, in your own mind, in your own heart, to expose, to bring to mind, what is it that that, that takes you to the dark night of the soul. And you're like, why are you bringing this up, man? It's supposed to be, like, it's supposed to be positive. And I am positive. Let's get rid of that. Because here's the thing. When it's 1130 at night, it comes out. That drive home, you think about it. When, when, that, that, when, the, when your husband says that thing, it stirs that up. It flings those doors wide open. When, when you watch something on television, something sparks that darkness, that evil that wants to reside, that wants to make a home in your heart. And it's got no place. If Jesus has resided, if Jesus and the Holy Spirit is filling you, that means filling you. Nothing else should be filling us. He understands like he understands that we fall. He understands that we sin. And, and so therefore, even in 1 John, it recognizes the fact that we sin. And it recognizes the fact that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But he also, he doesn't want us to live in this repetitive, like, okay, I'm going to do 1 John again. All right. Okay, the next, all right, 1 John again. 
Okay, yes, I know he'll come. If I confess, he will. Over and over and over and over and over to the day you die, because, or to the day you die, because he's God and he's good and he's forgiving and he's loving and he wants nothing but to give you a chance to have relationship with him. But you can't have relationship with him unless you're holy. And the only way to be holy is to claim Jesus as Savior. The only way to, to have that holiness is to have the Holy Spirit fill every part of your life and open every door and unlock and release by the power of Jesus every dark and evil thing that comes. Is this, do you get this? So what is it in your life today? What doors need to be opened? And I'm not saying, okay, well, at the end, we're going to put a microphone out and we want you to come up and just tell everybody what the darkness is. No. Does he want you to release that for everybody's entertainment? He wants you to talk to him about it because he already knows about it. And maybe this is something that was done to you or you did something, whatever it is. He wants you to cast that out in the name of Jesus. He wants to redeem you. But you've retreated. You've given up on that thing. There's a movie... Um, that was made in the year 2000, and um, uh, it was called The Patriot, and uh, it was back when Mel Gibson wasn't crazy. And um, <laughs> you like just throw Mel Gibson in any movie, and it was like, oh, he's, he's William Wallace, okay? He's, he, whatever it was, like Mel Gibson like, knocked it out of the park. And in this movie, The Patriot, it, it's, it settles in, in the, the history of the American Revolutionary War. And in the late 1700s, a war that lasted a little over eight, than eight years, um, where we, as there are 13 original colonies, were trying to establish our independence. And Britain was like, uh-uh. And they came, and they were trying to take that independence from us and put us back under that oppression, so to speak. And this movie is set in that moment. And in the, we had some help from the French and all these militia guys. It was a little less organized um, war was than it is, is uh, perhaps now. But in this moment, the, one of the final scenes of the movie that always sticks with me, and I thought of this in regards to us retreating, was that there's this battle taking place and the British are pressing in and they're, they got uniforms and they're organized and, they're like, and they got all these like random militia and some French guys that are helping us, trying to gain our independence, trying to defend our own place, our own country. And as like there's the battle is raging in the middle, there's this building that's like ruin, um, in ruins or whatever. And in and, and, and this scene, Mel Gibson was kind of way back here and he's fighting all these people all around him. And all of a sudden he sees his, his guys, the United States, he sees all of them like starting to run towards him. And, and they're yelling th these words. They're saying, retreat, retreat. So Mel Gibson, the music starts, and Mel Gibson's like, dun -dun 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 -dun. and he's like tearing guys down, and he's pushing, and he's running towards the battle by himself. And his whole, the whole army is retreating. And he gets close. <laughs> Forgive the corniness, because it, yeah. But he grabs, of all things, he grabs not a gun, not a sword. He grabs an American flag. <laughs> And he takes this American flag and he runs towards the ruins and he's like, hold the line! Hold the line! No retreat! And he gets to the top of the, the, the ruins here and he faces his army. I mean, beyond like the, the craziness of this moment where he could have got like, 
like whatever in the back, but he looks at his guys who are retreating, and he just starts waving the flag, the American flag, yes, corny, I know, but communicating that this war is not over. We cannot give up on this. Now, truth be told, we won our independence, and Mel Gibson won it for us all. This is an amazing moment in the American history as Mel saved us all. Not only did he save us through the passion of the Christ, but he saved our country. So like, it's the whole, Mel is the man. And so like, understand that, that listen, metaphorically, honestly, if we're honest with one another, there's areas of your life where you've looked at the battle you know the war's won, but you've looked at the battle and you've run back and you've yelled to yourself every day, retreat, retreat. Well, I'm here this morning to remind you to hold the line. Do not retreat. Hold the line. And as cheesy as I can be, waving the flag that there is hope through Jesus Christ. He has come to make war, but not with you. He's come to make war with the devil and evil and the darkness that looms and consumes our lives. He already won the battle. Like the war is essentially done through the cross, through resurrection, which Easter is coming. Amen? But you and I know that every day the battle wages strong. And we feel defeated. And you know what? We may come to church and we may sing and we may feel like, all right, Lord, you have all of me, even though I really mean 98%. Like, you're, like you know those areas exist. Today, you are not going to retreat. Today, you can be released in the power of Jesus. Peace has come. Get your fingers ready. Go to Luke chapter 1 and verse 79. I really want you to see these few verses. Luke chapter 1 and verse 79. This is, this is what Jesus came to do. This is what he came to bring. War to the evil, but peace to us. In verse 79 of chapter 1, it says, To give light to those who sit in darkness, and in the shadow of death, do you sit in the shadow of death in this moment? Does he need to come and bring light to the dark areas of your life? Maybe these are things that you think. Maybe these are things that you've done. Maybe these are things that have done to you. Or maybe literally there is a demonic oppression on your life. I'm not trying to belittle the very nature because we wage, we war not against flesh and blood. Because I know if that was the case, I know like, dude, if this is like literal war, bring it. I got D in the back. I got B in the front. Let's do this. Like we, are you serious? Have you seen Tim Lugin? Where is he? Oh, he's gone. We're doomed. Uh, but like, if this is literally war, we got this. Like, especially guys, like, let's go. Let's do this. But it's not who we fight against. We fight against our heart. We fight against our sin nature, which ultimately stemming from the demonic influences and to entice us to sin and to stiff arm God. That is the heart of Satan. That is the heart of the, what the devil wants. Notice even back in the beginning, Adam and Eve, like when the serpent came, it wasn't like the red smoke started and it was like, <laughs> like you'd think Hollywood. It says that the serpent, that the devil through the serpent was the most crafty, 
was one of the most beautiful creatures in that moment. It was, it was, it was sexy to the eyes. It was, it was appealing candy to the, it wasn't like he was like, ah, snake! You know, it wasn't at that moment. And so the, what, the, what the devil wants to do is he wants to take God's word and he simply, he doesn't want to be like, oh, let's turn it all the way around. He wants to simply just, because he wants you to see that, yeah, I know it says that, but it doesn't mean that. He wants you to believe that, like, yeah, God can save, but, like, not me. Like, no, God can forgive everything, but not, like, that thing. And that is the greatest lie. I encourage you strongly to keep reading this word. Because it's something that we hold is true. Every word of it is perfect. And that, like, it doesn't contradict itself. And over and over and over and over, from beginning to end, it says that faith produce justification. Faith in Jesus brings us peace. Luke chapter 2, the next chapter in verse 14 says, um, glory to God, does this sound familiar? Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Go to John, the next book over. John chapter 14. Are you guys still with me? Are you awake? Awesome. John 14, 27 says, peace. This is Jesus talking to his disciples, talking to his followers, talking to you. Peace. I have, I leave with you. And my peace I give to you. But not as the world gives peace do I give to you. Let your hearts not be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. One more. Romans 5. A couple more books later. Romans chapter 5. This is pretty powerful. It's kind of a big deal. Therefore, Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been justified, declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God. Through the Lord Jesus Christ. So I guess, like we're getting a lot of different areas this morning, but I guess my ultimate question is, do you have, do you have peace with God? And not like peace like Oprah peace, and, or like feeling good about yourself, or today's a happy day, or it's going to get lighter later, and you just feel good about I mean, like, do you have peace? Like his war... Is the war finished between our sinful hearts and a holy God? Well, like, it, it, the answer is yes. Like, it's, it's done. It's, it's done. It's done. But is it done? Have you crossed that amazing, have you made that amazing decision to follow Jesus and been justified by your faith in Jesus? See, we don't get to define what is evil. God does. His word does. As a follower of Jesus, we don't get to define, well, this is bad and this is good, and like, like we can't make that up. And guess what? Our culture can't either. We can't define, we don't get to define what evil is. We don't get to define what good is. Just like as a parent, you don't get to define what fun is. Um, 
So I, a few years ago, we lived in Phoenix, Arizona, and it was, it's like a hundred, a thousand um, in the summer, and um, it's so hot. It's kind of like summer here. Everybody just kind of hibernates, unless you have a pool, of which we didn't. So we got a water park uh, uh, season pass, right? And it's this huge water park. I've never seen anything like it. I mean, these slides were like four, five stories high. They were, it was legit. And so at the time, my wife was pregnant with our uh, daughter, Eden. So we just had the three boys and a bun in the oven. We're ready to go. We're going to have some fun, right? I thought, like, this would be fun. And, like, we had these moments. Like, the first thing we wanted to do as soon as we got in the park was what? Do you remember? Go to the, the first place we wanted to go. Sorry. You get, huh? <laughs> the lazy river. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so... <laughs> Like, imagine being, like, six and five and three and four years old boys, like, seeing these, like, slides that were literally, like, I was scared at the top. I mean, they, they thought they were in, like, water slide heaven. And, like, we're, like, old people, like, let's go to the lazy river. Like, we're, like, all in on it. And, like, there's nothing more fun than going and swimming in other people's uh, movements. Um, <laughs> So that's where we wanted to go, it was like the Lazy River. Or if we had to compromise, we had to go, we wanted to go to the wave pool. Now, if you've been in a wave pool, there's nothing better than swimming in other people's movements than like it's splashing all over you. And like in these moments, you're, you're in the wave pool and we're there and we got these inner tubes. And um, so like my wife who's uh, pregnant, she's on the inner tube and we're in like the deepest part. And my youngest son, Zion, who was so chunky at the time, like his head was so much bigger than his body, and like he's in this life jacket that's like squeezing like his head out of it. And like, so I'm holding him because he can't swim. The other two boys are like, Connie can swim. And then there's like these huge waves, and like, and it's like I'm hanging on to the side of the, the inner tube, and my wife's just like, like chilling there. Like in that moment, they're like climbing on me, stepping on me, pulling at me, yelling at me, dad, 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 like all these crazy things. And I, in that, in that moment, I decided like, this is not fun. Like as parents, we don't get to decide what's fun anymore, right? Who's it about? It's about the kids. Like they say, that was fun, dad. And you're like, no, that was not fun at all. Now, as followers of Jesus, we don't get to define what is evil and good. He does through his word. So his word is not just some book or like a set of rules or things that like, like if you knew, like yes, the supernatural nature of Jesus casting out demons and, 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 and rising the, or making the dead come to life and right, like making himself come to life and, and like even the miraculous supernatural nature of God creating the world and, and, and all that he has done. But like one of, those, one of the most supernatural things that we don't talk about much is the preservation of the word of God that you hold in your hands. I mean, over 5,000 manuscripts that were scattered when that was this was compiled of these letters and there'd be like it was like 99 percent um they were identical um you have no idea that this this isn't just like oh some religious dudes just threw this together this is a supernatural word of god that is breathed to us and that we can hold on to as truth. And it's not just a book to say, here's how to live. It's not a road map for your life, although it's a pretty good road map. But it's not just that. It's a living, breathing testament 
of the nature and character of God and his practice to us and how we should live and how we should see things and how we should understand the ultimate gospel overpowering evil in our lives. Um, so no one gets to define that with God. And Jesus makes that very clear by making us at peace with God um, in war with evil. War with evil. So let me finish with this thought, um, which I felt like is the where my mind was all week. Uh, <laughs> how many of you are like teachers or uh, you've taught your kids in some regard or you've coached the team or something like you, where you've, you've tried to explain something to a group of people, specifically children? Raise your hand. Like, you know that that can go sour like really fast um, and get like way off balance really quick. Um, Jesus is telling, is speaking this. He's talking about the lightness or the light and the dark. He's talking about the guard and how to guard. And he's talking about a redemption. And then out of nowhere, like this is that moment where that kid yells out, a student yells out in class or one of your kids is like, what's the price of tea in China? Or like one of the most random things. And you're like, you're like all into your teaching. You're here we go. This is like this is my outline. Like, this is we got. And then this random person's like this. You know, and they said something. This woman yells out what seems to be the most random thing, but Jesus takes it and he makes like the culmination of all that we're talking about. And he's like, yeah. And like, and then it ends. And it's like this great, the greatest understanding. And I was so excited about this because I kept thinking about like, what is that? Like, well, who is this lady? And like, what did Jesus say? Are you kidding me? That's in the Bible. That's crazy. So in verse 27, sorry, you get excited. Verse 27, and he said these things. Jesus was saying these things. And a woman in the crowd raised her voice, and she said, Blessed is the woman that bore, blessed is the womb that bore you, and the breasts at which you nursed. Okay. Um Get her out of here. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, like, Jesus responded, and maybe this wasn't as, as like, strange as I maybe, or maybe, my, maybe I'm just off, but it seems super random. And I don't know, I'd love to see that moment. Like, was it, was, were they outside and, like, they were walking, or they, was Jesus teaching, or it was, like, perfectly quiet, and then this crazy lady stands up, and she's like, blessed is the womb, blessed are the breasts. And, like, she's, like, yelling this stuff, and you're like, who invited her? Like, like, what's that about? But Jesus takes something here, and he, he takes what's physical, what's practical, and he makes it eternal. And this is what he does. Because when I first read it, I'm like, dude, Jesus just dissed his mom. Like, that lady was like, blessed is your mom and her womb that brought you into this world, and, and blessed are her breasts that nursed you, and... Jesus is like, nope, blessed rather are those who hear the word and keep it. Okay, that's our lesson for today. Like, what was that moment like? Jesus took what was physical, the way in which Jesus, our rescuer, came into the world. And yes, blessed is Mary and what the obedience and the faith that she had which ultimately the angel speaks of at the beginning of this book, the book of Luke. 
And certainly blessed are the breasts that nursed her, that, that, that nurtured him in a way of the understanding of, of who this boy would eventually be and him having that like God perspective, him being God. Like, I don't know, like as a boy, what was that like for Jesus? But she knew and she brought him and she did her best as Mary could to produce a way that could make him see and ultimately as he's God, understand his calling. She prepared the way for that as well, just like John the Baptist did and others did. But Jesus goes deeper. He goes somewhere better. And then he goes straight to the heart. And this is what he says. He says, blessed are those who hear it and keep it. Blessed. We've addressed that. Happy. Fulfilled. Redeemed. Blessed. Happy. Filled. Redeemed. Blessed are those rather that hear the word and keep it. So like you hear the word, you're you're hearing the word now, you read the word in your life, in your your daily practice, you understand like you're hearing what God has to say through his word. Yes, but what does it mean to keep it? What What did Jesus mean when he said keep it? Like I think these words matter. And, and instantly, you and I, like, if we're buzzing through this, we're like, oh, that dude couldn't talk. Jesus cast that out. And he's like, getting all this flack from people. And then this lady yells out. And then Jesus is like, yeah, blessed are those who, who hear the word and do it. Like, and we're thinking, we, we're in the James perspective. Don't just be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. And in this moment, when we hear that Jesus says, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it, what does it mean to keep? It's better than do. It's more than be. When he says, when you hear the word and keep it, the word keep, now, like, I try to do this often because that sounds really geeky, but as I said, the word of God is an inspired, perfect preservation. One of the most supernatural things God has ever done is through the word. And so the, the two original languages, the Hebrew, the Old Testament, and the Greek language of the New Testament. So the, in the New Testament, so, like, we have these, all these translations, like, even if we raised our hand, like, you'd have the, the, the ESV or NIV or all these other different translations, which are essentially all the same. Like, they're just using different English words or whatever. But my bigger question a lot of times is, what, is it a, what was the original language in all the meanings? In Greek, what was that word? What does that word mean? Because sometimes, as, like, the English language, we tend to dumb things down. And, like, it loses the significance and the depth of what God was really going after. So all that to say is that the Greek word for keep it is this. Philosantes. You weren't as excited about it as I was. Okay. Philosantes. Okay, what does that mean? What does philosantes mean? Well, one of the best ways to find out what it means or the depth of it is to say, okay, where else was this word used? Like, was it used? All right, so should I Google, like, okay, where does it say keep it in, in Luke? No, like, you, you understand the philosantes is used in other places. And this is one of the places that it's used. One of the, the handful of places it's used in Luke uh, chapter 2 uh, when it says that the shepherds that were about to go see Jesus when he was born, that the shepherds were keeping watch over their flock by night. Still not there. So they were watching their sheep. They were caring for their sheep. They were guarding their sheep. 
They were residing with their sheep. They were living, breathing with the health and the growth and the protection of their flock. Now, this word is used again. Philosantes is used in, the, uh, in this very same chapter that you're in. And we've already covered this other word, this English word. If you go up the page a little bit, go to verse 21. The word is the same Greek word, but the different English word. It says um, in verse 21, when a strong man who's fully armed guards, guards, philosantes, what are you getting at? God is not just asking you to keep his word, to, to like, like protect it, defend it. Like when somebody says something about, bad about the Bible, you were to step in and like guard it. No, it, it needs no guarding. Like let it loose. Like it's, it's actually guarding us. It's actually keeping us. But the, the root idea of philosantes, whether you're guarding your house with arms or whether you're, you're keeping watch over the flock or whether you're literally hearing the word of God and you're keeping it, you're philosantes, you're residing in it. You're living with it. You're letting it transform you. You're letting it guard you. You're not babysitting it. It is babysitting you. It is truly guiding you in the way that you should go. And Jesus right here is saying, hear the word, but keep it. Keep God's word. What does his word say? It says that we are free. It says that we're justified by faith. It says that we have peace with God through Jesus. It says that he's coming back. It says that he's risen from the dead. It says, he says that we will be alive forever because we are redeemed in him. He says all of these things. This is what his word says, and he wants you to keep it. He wants you to fill Asante's. Now here's my point. Here's my last point. Here's my last Thought that I want you to take away, and if you could write this down or remember this, I'd appreciate it because I think it will help you understand the depths of what Jesus is saying. Faith is not keeping your word, it's you keeping his word. Faith is not you keeping your word, it's him keeping his word. This is incredibly freeing. This is incredibly liberating. This is incredibly redeeming. The demons will flee. Evil will run. At the mention of his name, at the mention of his word, even David, even the aspect of perspective of sin, David, I mean, he's one to talk, right? Um, he says, I will hide your word in my heart that I may not sin against you, God. So what we're putting in there, what is our palace, what Jesus is ultimately encouraging us to do, he's saying, let you be a guard, philosantes, in keeping God's word, not your own word, not your own ability, because he's saying when a strong man is even even armed with the right things, when a stronger person comes, they'll overtake you and you'll take all your stuff. Jesus is saying, keep it by letting him do the work. He's saying you keep his word. 
Not you keep your word. How many of you guys, like you've come to an altar or you've come to a place in your heart or your life or in prayer or in some moment and you've made promises to God and you've said covenants or you've used all these crazy words like, God, I will not do that again or I'm going to do this. How many of you have done that? You've made resolutions. You've made promises. I got like all hands and fingers and feet up, right? That's us. How many of you have broken them? All of us. He's not asking you to keep your word. I'm not trying to take away from verbally confessing before the Lord. I'm not trying to take away the, the covenant that you promise that you make. I think He's honored in our desire to please Him. He's honored in our desire to make the steps of life change that the Holy Spirit does in our life. He's so excited about that. We encourage that. But understand that if you fail, of which you will, the very basis of what drew you to make that promise is something that can't be taken away. The very thing that drew you and wooed you to freedom was not your own way to fight. It was not your own strength. It was not the own thing. It was not your own way to, 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 to battle this. The battle is won. And so when he says to you to hear the word, it's so that you're reminded. And when he says to keep the word, he's saying live with it. Reside in it. Guard your hearts with it. Guard your mind with it. And let it radically change your life. And the evil will flee. It has to. When you keep, when you fill Asante's, his word. So these guys are going to come up. And we're going to close. I think that we have something to celebrate. I think that we've got an opportunity to open doors. We have an opportunity to expose our lives to the one who can forgive and set us free. And so we can't, we can't leave. We shouldn't leave without you exploring your own heart. What darkness remains? What darkness hovers? What darkness is involved? The besetting sins and the things that just seem to collect in your flesh, in your everyday life. Cast them out by hearing the word and keeping his word. That he has made peace with God for you. So would you stand? My encouragement, of course we'll be up here to pray, but more importantly, would you just do some business with God? Expose that to him. And just say, God, this is, this is, this is my heart. And I ask that you'd come, and I ask that you would literally just take the darkness and the evil and you take it out by your very mention of your name by the power of your word and I will keep your word I'll try to keep my word but I know I will fail but I will ultimately God I will keep your word and what it says the gospel that sets us free so let's rejoice in that let's leave with that perspective and if you have that business to do. If you have those things, deal with it in this last part. And we're up here to pray. But at the same time, if you've done that, let me remind you that you are free and let's rejoice in that. Let's go in that. Let's live in that. Let's reside in that. Amen? Let's sing. Mm -hmm.